This is Modern Woman. Find us at modernwoman.co for further info. Tuba Tariqli is a powerful woman with a wealth of experience in the female entrepreneurship and investment arena. She was the first to launch Saudi Arabia's private entrepreneurship foundation, Quotaf, before launching the investment crowdfunding platform, Lead Angels, and today is the general manager for the Saudi arm of the beauty conglomerate, Avon. Since growing up and running multiple initiatives in the region, she understands what it's like to make your mark in a male-dominated environment and push through to success. Tuba is here to share with us her career journey, crucial advice when it comes to investing and the changes set for Saudi's Vision 2030. It's lovely to be speaking with you, Tuba. Thank you so much, dear Rosie, for having me and it's lovely to hear your voice as well. Thank you for having me. Uh, Likewise. So um, let's start um, by sharing with us a bit more about growing up and childhood. Sure. Uh, I was your typical tomboy, born to an electrical engineer father and a philosopher mother. I wanted to uh, tinker away at pretty much everything and find out how things worked. Uh, I was born in Istanbul uh, and and raised partly in Turkey. Uh, The initial part of my childhood was uh, between uh, Iskenderun and uh, Istanbul. And in 1981, as I turned nine, my parents moved permanently to Saudi Arabia. And uh, we began uh, a journey first in Mecca and then in Jeddah. Uh, As a tomboy growing up, it was pretty difficult because I was a girl and my mom didn't want that for me. So instead, my father urged her to cut my hair and give me baggy clothes and I would go with him to the office and the site construction places everywhere. I have one younger brother. Uh, My mom got to have uh, her fun with him, but uh, I was always out uh, looking to cycle um, and and do fun things. Um, And uh, education was a breeze for me as well. I took uh, two years instead of one year of education every year. Finished high school by the time I was 14 and a half, uh, just about to hit 15, and had my first job, official contractual obligation at age 15 and a half as a teacher in Montessori school here. And uh, it it feels like my childhood was all about uh, building things, running around, and making sure that I learn as much as possibly can. Uh, I finished works of Shakespeare, I believe, by the age 12. Uh, wow. Read my first Descartes when I was nine. Um, listened to a lot of classical music. My mom loved it. And did my religious studies with my grandma um, and uh, the studies of the Sunnah and the life of the Prophet. And uh, the number one doctrine we had in our family was read, read, read. I loved reading. I started reading when I was three and a half and uh, haven't stopped since. Wow. So do you think, like, had you not been brought up in such an um, educated way um, or come from parents that really wanted to instill that in you, do you think life might have been a bit different career-wise? Uh, certainly. I mean, it's the people you grow up around and uh, the uh, role models you take that you see uh, that instill that in you. Uh, I believe the new generation is so lucky. I mean, we grew up in an environment where there was segregation uh, in the 80s, even though Saudi in the 70s didn't have segregation. I went to an all-girls uh, all high school. I 
went to an all girls university and uh, right now, you know, uh, even when there is segregation, my father can't come along because it's a family's place. Right. So yeah. uh, our kids are so much lucky. Um, they can cycle all they want without being noted that they're a girl. They can drive, they can do so many things, mm. but most of the Jeddah families, by the way, are uh, like mine. Uh, Saudi Arabia is full of uh, interracial and uh, multicultural families. I mean, the least family speaks uh, three, four languages under the roof. And, um, you know, it's very difficult to find a person who speaks only one language in Saudi Arabia. Mm, uh, it's, it's always at least two or three. And uh, that's that. I think that open mindedness uh, with the new vision 2030 is going to come out much more uh, progressively. Mm. So what was life like um, growing up with segregation all those years ago? Yeah, it was difficult. I'll, I'll tell you what was my most difficult part. I mean, even in high school, I didn't feel it much because after school, I would go out with my dad and do things. And I was still young enough to be able to do that. Nobody, you know, cared. I didn't look like a girl. Uh, the difficulty uh, hit when I wore the scarf and started looking like a girl when my 15th and 16th year. Mm -hmm. And that's when my father himself was like, no, you don't come uh, to this place. No, we, we can't go here. You can't do that. Um, and all the social uh, norms began to uh, develop. And my mother started to see people to uh, engage me with, uh, you know, family started asking for my hand with age 16. And then finally, as I started college at age 18, uh, I was already engaged in my first year. Mm -hmm. So um, the balancing act became primarily difficult once I was in college. And, uh, but I did choose a path. I did wait till I was able to get into computer science. I didn't want anything else. I didn't want literature or any other department. Uh, most girls wanted to finish university quickly and run back to being housewives. And that wasn't for me at all. I wasn't going to, you know, um, stand while my husband made a living. Definitely, I wanted a career and a path of my own. I actually wanted to become a, a NASA uh, scientist like my uncle um, in the US and uh, almost made it to UCLA, but uh, in the end decided to stay with my parents and uh, settle down here. That's phenomenal. That's great. So let's move on to your first song choice, which is um, If My Life Is For Rent by Dido. Um, tell us why this song resonates with you, Tuba. Um, well, I, it, it was surreal going through uh, my first 10 years of marriage while I finished my college and delivered my two sons. And uh, I ended up with health difficulties and a divorce because, you know, um, and that going through any woman who has been through divorce in the 90s, uh, 90, you know, or early 2000s will tell you in Saudi Arabia, the laws were not on their side. Mm -hmm. And it was really surreal. And listening to that song, uh, you know, later down in life made me understand what I was going through. So I listen to it whenever I can to lift me up. I love it. I haven't ever really found a place that I call home I never stick around quite long enough to make it I apologize once again, I'm not in love But it's not as if I mind that your heart ain't exactly breaking It's just a thought, only a thought But if my life for rent and I don't learn to buy well I deserve nothing 
was If My Life Is For Rent by Dido. Tell us where your professional career started and how did you get into angel investing? So um, as a professional, I started making money as an entrepreneur myself at age 14 uh, as well, alongside uh, working. Uh, my dad was making enough to support the family. I just wanted my own thing. And I discovered working with computers and programming. I started programming when I was 12 on the old, good old Sinclair. I'm sure everybody in UK knows what that is. Uh, and I had an Amstad printer. And I started printing company papers for organizations and organizing their meeting notes and their uh, audit notes and, and so forth. And they paid me handsomely. And I, I got that. And when I was a teacher for about 14 years, uh, you know, uh, alongside my uh, college education, and I continued that, I did not find myself uh, in the female-only environment. So uh, I applied to Aramco. I was accepted with honors, and I became the first female to be actually employed after uh, a whole year of vigorous um, promotions in the strategic planning of Aramco reporting directly to the CEO's office. Once I achieved that, they have given me the first 40 Saudis to train to go into Aramco. Today, Saudi Aramco has over 8,000 female employees in Saudi Arabia. So um, what it is, is it's like the one mile dash. Once you break barriers and you move forward in your career, you want the next big thing. I never felt um, there was a glass ceiling, but I did feel omitted. Uh, when I was in a room, 90% of my meetings till today are only in male dominated rooms. I would only be, uh, you know, probably be the only girl in the room or there's just one more person in addition to me at my level. And that's not an, a good feeling. I want to see more girls pushing for it and, and not taking uh, the status quo. And um, in 2009, I decided to look for female business owners and to support them with my learnings and how to drive businesses to grow and uh, to drive them to profit. And I found out there were too few. Uh, we ran um, a list with a couple of uh, wonderful ladies, Anne Coyle and, uh, sorry, Anne Habibi and Deirdre Coyle out of Harvard. Uh, we called it the Saudi's fastest 100 growth list. Right. And uh, that actually uh, began uh, my journey into entrepreneurship and to see that there is literally no angel investment and venture capital ecosystems in Saudi Arabia. I took a two year off, um, not working. I mean, I was doing three jobs at the time. So I, I got out of the two jobs and kept one going while I went to the US, um, had my fourth child and had education in Babson. Uh, trying to find out how to set up ecosystems. And of course, I went to the Valley so many times as well for specifically angel investment and venture capital. And the accelerator boom started then. Uh, you know, Y Combinator came out in 2007. Their first seeds were being deployed in 2009. And I wanted that learning to come to Saudi Arabia. In 2011, uh, I looked up to Kauffman Foundation and I brought their initiative uh, called um, Global Entrepreneurship Week to Saudi. In 2012, we ran the first GEW of Saudi Arabia uh, properly. And I found a partner who liked doing the things that I would. Uh, he's a very uh, prominent Saudi businessman, Dr. Ghassan Sleiman. And we together formed the first entrepreneurship foundation from the private sector in Saudi Arabia. We called it Kutuf, which means the fruits of the heavens. And under that, we established the first accelerator in Saudi Arabia for tech. And that was Plastic Slabs Jeddah. 
we partnered up with a group from Cairo, Plastics Labs Group, uh, to help us uh, bring the content for it. We ran it, um, uh, you know, independently here. Uh, and uh, we had uh, around 43 tech companies graduating from it by 2017. So uh, that's, that's how I began uh, basically loving angel investment and everything yeah. to do with it. And what would you say the importance is of angel investment for businesses in Saudi Arabia? Well, you know, there was a recent uh, research that was done by uh, Mohammed bin Salman College, uh, which is a Babson affiliate here in Saudi. And they found out that uh, families in the West use some sort of support mechanism to fund early on the businesses for their kids. Families here use their support to marry off their kids because there is this huge yeah. dowry and marriage uh, implications. So most of the startups are not able to find double support from their families. It's either you're going to get married or you're going to do your startup. So they look around and Saudi government till today does, has not uh, provided a grant uh, program. There are small microloans programs for startups, but there is no grant uh, mechanism. So angel investments actually are there to val not just validate the idea with their investments that they trust in this child, you know, who's coming up with this great idea. And I do call them children, by the way, uh, young entrepreneurs, regardless of their age, because doing something new uh, has the same baby steps that we have to take as children. And, um, you know, uh, the angels are um, unfortunately drawn in to uh, a network. So if you see a friend do it, then you are uh, more, uh, let's say, relaxed and, and assured that you can do it. Uh, however, not many people angel invest. And that's the main problem. We need to have good angel investors who are able to make good bets and are able to grow those companies to uh, their own exits. I mean, we exit either in series A or B, or we choose to stay till the company goes public. Yeah. But we, we have to make sure that we build a pathway that others will aspire to become. And that hasn't really happened yet. Yes, there are angel networks now, thank God. We uh, put the underlying principles and even the naming of what is an angel investor uh, since 2012. Uh, but there aren't as many as we hope. And especially when it comes to female founders, uh, their angel money is even more scarce uh, than it is for the male founders. So I think um, the journey has begun uh, seven years ago in Saudi Arabia in about 2013, but it hasn't reached its destination yet. Mm. And can you share with us, say, three pros and three cons to angel investing? And I guess that would be the same for Saudi and also uh, in the UK as well? Sure. Uh, whether it's the Western or the local world, uh, the difficulties of angel investing and, and the rewards remain the same. I mean, it's the same principles, right? Number one is you stay in touch with an industry that you, you love to learn more about. So uh, let's say you're in logistics and you just invested in a startup that's dealing with drones. It just keeps you up to date. So that's a really big pro. For me, that's one of the key reasons why I do it. Uh, number two is uh, you get to diversify your investments and your future potential. Uh, that uh, and, and you don't do that with a huge risk. Angel investments, even if you're an executive, I mean, you're not going to bet all your bank savings. You'll probably take third or, or, or a quarter of that. 
And uh, number four is experiencing the growth of an organization. And if you're an angel, you're probably also a good mentor uh, to the team. And being on the board uh, as a smart money helps you uh, change possibly a whole sector with disruption. And uh, I like being part of the smart money equation, uh, whether it's early VCs or early stage VCs or angels. I, I love that part of the equation. The cons are you may have bet on the wrong person. Um, entrepreneurs have grown so well in the last years in their um, you know, fundraising rituals that sometimes we do choose the wrong entrepreneur, unfortunately. And second is nobody knows how the market will end up behaving. And uh, like in the case of COVID-19, yep. uh, you know, many businesses, many angels sunk their investments and that's not a good thing. And the third is uh, you know, cross-border uh, investments. That, you don't know if you invest your money in a country, can you really get it out at that size or is it a write-off? So I would say those are the pros and cons. Sure. So let's move on to your um, second song choice, um, which is called It's All Coming Back to Me Now by Celine Dion. Uh, tell us about this song, Tuba. Yeah, uh, well, I did go through a life-changing experience. I had pulmonary emboli on my third pregnancy. I was out wow. from a cold and a coma for four days, came back, and uh, I couldn't really remember what I was on earth for. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, to refine and redefine your purpose, why you're here, that, that's what that song is about for me. There were nights when the wind was so cold Just listen to it right outside the window There were days when the sun was so cruel All the tears turned to dust And I just knew my eyes were drying up forever I finished crying in the instant that you left And I can't remember Was, it's all coming back to me now by Celine Dion. So um, I read that you were the first woman involved in hospital operations in Saudi Arabia. Can you tell us what that role involved and describe your experience of being the first woman to do it? Oh, yeah, that's now my Mr. Directly hat, isn't it? So um, uh, when I was going through my uh, divorce, I came back to Jeddah. Uh, to my parents, uh, and I, I actually, uh, on the second day, I had my MBA happening with University of Liverpool. I was supposed to be traveling to Liverpool uh, for my classes to start, and at the same time, I got a job offer uh, from the first hospital 
the U.S. Saudi Hospital, Cleveland Clinic, actually were the partners at the time, to be able to uh, become their marketing manager. Uh, I, I really have to, um, you know, uh, describe that part of my life as the best learning I had, because what I did in that job is what I reflected in my three and a half year research master's. And it was a, a tremendous effort. I began as marketing. Then they said, oops, you know what? Now we're opening the hospital. And this is the first private hospital the king is going to come to open. Uh, so you need to be there to greet the king. And all of hospitality has to be ready. And guess what? Our hospitality director just resigned. And you are a hard worker. We know you can do it. I said, hold on. Hospitality in their terms meant you operate everything inpatient and everything to do with the operations, housekeeping, you know, um, uh, maintenance, uh, laundry, um, actual relations with the patient and doctors, you know, the patient relations wow. department. And it had seven departments and 425 staff at the time. And I was required to hire an outsourced uh, for another 300. And they all spoke about 65 languages. And Voila, overnight, I was assigned as their, as their director, and the king was coming after 15 days. And they said, oh, and JCI is coming to do their certification after a month, and you have to be JCI ready. So it was the most hectic and best learning of my life. Uh, I actually immediately subscribed to American College of Healthcare Executives. I, I brought on three friends, gurus, to help me out learn. And uh, did everything by the book. Uh, we passed JCI with the highest score in operations in Middle East. It was, uh, and the, the opening, I was one of the first women in history to have shaken the, the hand of uh, King Abdullah. I would, I'm very proud of that moment. Uh, God bless the soul. And um, it, was, it was a great learning that I took on to also help me uh, remain as chief of strategy for International Extended Care Center, which is the uh, actual acute chronic care facility. So the first hospital till today is called International Medical Center. Uh, and uh, I was very lucky. I met my husband now. We're 14 years happily married uh, while I was working there. So I began that uh, job in 2004. We were married in 2005, and we had our daughter uh, 2009. Currently, a mother of two boys and two happy girls. Oh, that's amazing. What an inspiring story. It really is. So what would you say today are the barriers for entrepreneurs to become successful, and particularly women entrepreneurs in Saudi Arabia? I think uh, perseverance and grit is your number one condition. If you're going to start something because your friends told you there is money to make and you're in a hurry to make money and you think you can do it, that's a short-lived uh, business. A, a business of passion is very different than a business of need. And business of need is usually a traditional business. And I, I hesitate to call those people entrepreneurs because they don't do much to innovate and to disrupt. But a business of passion is looking for a solution for an existing problem, and they really want to pursue it. It doesn't matter if it takes two, three years or five years. They won't ever give up, and nobody can tell them to stop. And even as an investor, if I tell them, well, I'm not investing in you, they will find a way to get that done. And those are the, the entrepreneurs that I seek to support. Very few right now. Uh, but the ones that are there are worth the support that we've given them. And um, I believe about 13% of today's startups are women. 
And I'm very pleased to see women taking on the construction industry and the energy industry and the downstream industry of petrochems and healthcare. Uh, and, and, you know, lately you have probably seen in the news, we have a satellite company uh, founder and biochem. So all those uh, diversified sectors that are being led by uh, female founders are my keen interest. I'm not much into the traditional businesses, even though there are great women there as well. I just uh, feel that unless it's their passion and they're doing it very well, and there are several in the entertainment industry and the uh, food sector that are doing tremendous value to the economy. And uh, I love it when it's their passion and they're driven by the objective of not just making money, but actually making a difference and adding value. So let's move on to your third song choice, um, which is Man, I Feel Like a Woman by Shania Twain, uh, which is quite apt. <laughs> Tell us about this one. Uh, that was me in my healthcare career. Um, it was very difficult to feel like a woman, I can tell you. I mean, in a country that wears a bias, I didn't wear a bias for close to eight, nine years. I wore suits to work every day uh, with my scarf and it, it just felt I had to be tougher and, you know, it, it was a whole different me than I am now. Um, I, I have to admit that um, having to run uh, operations um, on an hourly basis where every second matters to the life of a patient is a much different uh, lifestyle than it is running a regular business. And that taught me a lot. The checklist, the amount of quality control, the, the rapid development of so many things like Six Sigma and the black uh, belt that I had to gain to do that. And, and you know, um, uh, the zero error factors that we had to have in healthcare. My two sons ended up being doctors. My husband is still the, the CEO of IMC and uh, we have a very healthcare driven life. And Shania helps me out when I listen to her to remind me of that. Let's go girls. Man, I Feel Like a Woman by Shania Twain. So um, I wanted to discuss a bit more about uh, the business uh, aspect of the Middle East um, generally. And oil has obviously always been a huge asset and moneymaker for the Middle East. Um, this is changing rapidly. Can you tell us uh, what business initiatives you are forging to substitute oil in the region? I think... Uh we, I still remember, and uh, our first meetings uh, set forth by the uh, King Abdullah University of Science and Technology when they were opening up the chapter of the knowledge-based 
economy research that we had conducted under the auspices of uh, the late King Abdullah. And uh, later on, the development of the Saudi Vision uh, 2030, all of these underline the fundamental of diversifying from oil. And in those, uh, there are hundreds and thousands of studies that are done by the different various sector uh, owners, uh, whether it's healthcare or entertainment or logistics or, um, you know, anything, uh, tech and innovation, cybersecurity, AI, IoT, you name it, you know, it's, uh, but primarily Saudi Arabia is an energy giant to the world. And even if we don't want to use carbon, uh, for the rest of the life uh, of this earth, where we want to save and uphold uh, our, our belief in a safer, car uh, you know, uh, ecosystem for the uh, for everyone that's a global citizen, we will still uh, focus on energy as a sector with solar, nuclear, water, uh, you know, hydrogen energy, and uh, of course, uh, air and, and oxygen-related energy. So it's, it's very important to understand Saudi Arabia wants to remain um, an energy giant. With that said, the amount of tourism sector potential of Saudi Arabia is huge. It's not just we now have 13 programs under the Saudi 2030 initiative and um, everything about those programs is diversifying from oil while remaining an energy uh, sector leader in the G20 countries. So um, as King Salman implements Vision 2030, would you say this will encourage more UK businesses to expand to Saudi? I would say absolutely. Um, and just before COVID-19 uh, crisis hit, we had the um, pleasure of having no visas coming into Saudi for UK business people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had no less than five meetings in three weeks where we had uh, UK businesswomen it was very unique because we were expecting business people, but it was mainly women that were coming in to find the opportunities here. And uh, we were lucky enough to sit down and discuss the many ways in which collaborations could take place, uh, you know, uh, especially in setting up uh, substantial uh, company expansions in Saudi Arabia because the market is always looking for uh, good companies to set up in Saudi Arabia and to uh, employ Saudi youth and to develop them. And multinationals have been extended to Saudi uh, rapidly since 2019 under the vision uh, programs. Uh, we are lucky to have the original Apple in Saudi Arabia. We're lucky to have original Amazon now. They started a week ago in Saudi Arabia. So most companies are looking at Saudi Arabia as the leading market in the Middle East with the highest purchasing power. And yes, we still have a lot to do. So we are always looking for businesses from abroad to come and set up here and uh, you know help us uh, collaborate. Collaboration mm. is key. That's very interesting. And in what specific industry would you say they're, they're looking to work with, ideally? I think uh, five industries off the top of my mind are extremely crucial. One is healthcare, uh, second is logistics, uh, third is the financial sector and fintech, and anything to do with uh, fintech. Uh, fourth is tourism and its innovation. Uh, things like crowd control, uh, management at the back end, and, and uh, so many of that. And fifth and most important is what we're doing in NEOM. It's setting up the world's largest robotic uh, city in the world. 
So robotics and AI and, and IoT and all these things uh, that are pertaining to the next 20 years of tech development, uh, yeah. whether it's in you know, bioscience or um, mechanical uh, industries, it, it does matter uh, quite tremendously, especially UK. They have had years and years of uh, research into these fields and I'm sure there's lots to do there. Mm, absolutely. So, um, I mean, I, um, been to the Middle East a few times. I've been to Bahrain and funny enough when they had that visa in place before COVID I was due to come to Jeddah and Riyadh as well um, and what I found quite interesting is over the past um, couple of years especially um, Saudi Arabia has seen a string of reforms in terms of uh, women's freedoms um, so obviously the driving ban got lifted um, and traveling without a male companion. So what impact would you say these reforms are having or influencing working women's lives in, over there? It was the most rejoiceful uh, year um, in 2019. I can assure you we were so looking forward to 2020 as well when 90% of these reforms took place and hit the ground and it was just impressive to watch all sorts of women from all walks of life taking more, let's say they were cautious before, they weren't willing to go out and, and try things as much as they are now. Because now they know uh, the king is behind them, the crown prince is behind them, their female colleagues is behind them. And there is no legal binding reason why they shouldn't do what they want to do. One of the uh, most important things was putting a hold on somebody's education, right? So uh, before a father had to sign off uh, his daughter joining university, that was lifted. That was my huge celebration day. Um, same applies for whatever is for a male of 21 Saudi applies for a girl of 21 Saudi. That equality allows us to not just leap and jump and fly wherever we want to go, but to do it with an aspiration that we're doing this to show them they didn't make the wrong decision when they allowed us, right? So we don't want to ruin it for the next generations. We want to open doors for them. We want to help them. And uh, it took us so long and, and such hard work. I, I salute all those women uh, that stood together and, and uh, asked for these reforms. The most important turnaround, I believe, was when we had over 30 female members of our Shura Council, our parliament, as you would call it in the UK, appointed. And from there on, we knew our voices will be heard. And those women till today are making history as we speak. And so many university deans, uh, women were appointed, so many new specialties were opened up. I think they got nothing except to look forward to a future where it's all possible. And uh, it was possible before, just a lot harder. Uh, but now I, I tell the girls, you have no excuse. I'm very sorry. You have to, per you know, excel now because you, you have no excuse there's nothing to stop you so let's move on to your uh, fourth song choice which is my way by frank sinatra that uh, yes. is one uh i um absolutely don't like to be told no to and if people tell me no i will find my way and that's a song one of my dad's favorites as well uh he was a trailblazer and um 
I wanted to show uh, to a lot of the people that ask me for mentoring and, and whatever else support I can give them, you have to find your way and you have to do things your way if you want to make a difference in life. And now the end is near And so I face the final curtain My friend I'll say it clear, I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full, I traveled each and every highway, and more, much more than this, I did it. And that was My Way by Frank Sinatra. So you're obviously an avid supporter for women in business. Um, You also manage the global arm of Avon in Saudi. What would you say you learned from your female colleagues as opposed to working with men? It was a unique experience coming to work in an environment that's almost 90% woman again. And, uh, you know, back from my teaching years, And I can tell you, uh, 13 regions of the country, women are not the same. They are very, very different from each other. Uh, Their backgrounds, their habits, their cultures, their family sizes, their family situations tend to impact how much they can deliver uh, to a business. So it is very crucial when you run a, a very heavy female, almost only female business to be a great listener. And you have to have the flexibility in your policies and the flexibility uh, in your uh, operations to be able to allow that. One of the things that we were so blessed with in this COVID-19, you know, we didn't stop operations for a single day, simply because we had women set up remotely to work from their homes. As Saudi women, it was important for them to be able to balance life and work. Uh, So we had them set up remotely. So when everything got off uh, physical world, we were able to still continue doing business and they were able to, we didn't make a single real salary cut. We didn't stop our our sales one bit. Uh, Yes, it may have declined, uh, but it was nothing major to hit our books. And it felt great to be doing that. And I think The beauty of Avon and companies of Avon is where they use their voice for power and for empowerment. I don't know if you're aware, Avon is globally rebranding. And, um, you know, uh, empowering women is one of the daily agendas we have. We actually have group calls on a daily basis with all our field agents and everybody that's making up our um, success story in Avon. Uh, and also everyone who has concerns for what's happening uh, around them in the market. Uh, You know, Saudi Arabia just increased VAT another 10%. So now VAT is 15%. Now we also have new um, regulations coming in from the duty and tariff. They were increased. So they're worried, are we going to lose our consumers? The voice that they have within the organization is crucial for them to feel success. And we're giving them a huge share of and I think that's the difference. When I'm in a male-dominant environment, um, 
I behave rather differently. I'm not that much as a, of a listener as much as I'm that much of a demanding uh, boss. And what would you say inspires you to keep achieving? Um, I haven't reached a destination yet. So if you are looking at becoming a better version of yourself on a daily basis and you know you haven't reached where you want to reach, you have to continue the journey. I think I'm still at the beginning of my journey. Uh, for some, that might sound lame because I'm nearly hitting 50. But for me, I, I want to be able to make impact, not where I am only, but across the globe in certain industries. And I'm still not there yet. And uh, I have to keep it going. One of the things that keeps me going is uh, the fact that I studied the life of the wife of the prophet, uh, Sayyida Khadija, who was the, the largest tradesperson of her era, uh, the prophet used to work for her. Tons of men used to work for her. And she was a multi-billionaire of our time. And, uh, you know, it, it is what it is about Mecca being as difficult as uh, any other ecosystem at that time. She made it to the top and she was very well respected and she handled uh, so much uh, for her community and uh, made for an aspiring leader that lives on still in our minds and as a mentor for us after thousands of years. So I, I want to stay on her path and I want to reach my goals and I'm not there yet. That's amazing. And how would you define success then? Success, um, I believe my success is not uh, going to uh, be defined in my lifetime. It will be long after gone. I am gone. Um, in um, my religion, we call it sadaqa uh, jariya, when people pray for you after you have died and passed on. And that's what I want to achieve, whether it's building schools, whether it's building companies, investing in entrepreneurs that are going to disrupt the way things are done, uh, add value to our communities. Uh, those are all great things. But uh, my success, I won't know it here. I'll know it once I'm gone. Mm, it's really true. I can really understand what you mean by that for sure. So tell us, you do, you're constantly busy and obviously uh, juggling many plates as we call it. Um, how do you balance family life and business? Uh, by not looking for a balance, I guess. It's very important uh, to look for prioritization and to understand how to manage time uh, it becomes essentially difficult when everyone is demanding on you or you become the central decision maker. So I try to delegate and to ask for help. It's not a shame to ask for help. And the priority always should go to the family, but it's not the case. I am the first to admit that the priority goes to sometimes to business because I realize other people's families depend on their income. So it's the urgency that drives my priority. And for balance, we have great summers. I don't know what we're going to do this summer. But uh, we usually save all our, you know, kids are in school. I'm at work. We all save whatever we want to do for the summer. And we have very long vacations. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, that helps maintain the family together. And we have very special Fridays. Um, and also... Uh, I am almost always available through technology to my kids. So whenever there's an issue, I'm the first to know. 
and um, it helps them to know that I'm within their reach for their needs. I guess that's the only way I can find balance, but I do work crazy hours. And of course, the one way to balance, as I'm sure you have read the Lean End book uh, yeah. as well as most of us have. Actually, it was a, mine was a gift from my husband. He was like, he was flying in from the States. He's like, I found this and this is so you, so take it. Uh, reading that book, it, it tells us how globally our issues are the same. I yeah. gave up uh, social commitments. You know, I, I don't go out socially. I don't see people socially. I rarely see my friends once or twice a year. Yeah. I keep up with them over WhatsApp and, you know, virtual com, but I don't do those things. And I gave up sleep because I love to read as well. I, I have to balance in what the things I love as well, not just work and family, but the things I love to do. So I gave up sleep and I gave up social life. And that's the only way I'm able to somehow balance it out. Yeah. I've got to ask you, how do you manage to give up sleep? Like I, I'd love, I want to do that. I'm always trying, but if I, if I lose sleep, I'm almost redundant. Please don't. Uh, you know, I, it does cause memory loss, so don't give up sleep uh, would be my advice. But me, I've learned it the hard way, you know, being a mom of four, staying up long nights and, and uh, managing uh, businesses locally and internationally. You know, people in the U.S. wake up after 5 p.m. our time, and if I want to run a whole day of business in the U.S., I'm up till, uh, you know, 1 a.m. to a.m. our time, and our prayer time is 5 a.m. here, so I catch a two-hour, three-hour sleep, then I'm up for prayer, then I catch another two hours before I go to work at about 8 o'clock, and that's it. That's basically four hours, four and a half hours, and it is not a good thing, right? Mm. Uh, but if you... Um, read about the life of uh, most of the people that work uh they, they they do get a good seven hours sleep they all say you have to have minimum seven hours sleep and i do that i do my sleep deprivation on the weekends i catch up my sleep on friday mornings mm. but that's what um, ariana huffington says as well isn't it uh, about sleep she's uh, wrote that book about sleep and says exactly absolutely mm. absolutely and power naps do help I do take power naps. I do take 20 minute slap naps and, and uh, it does, it does help. helps. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, it's been so inspiring speaking with you. It really has to, but I, I guess the last question I'd like to finish with is um, what's the one piece of advice you would give to women in the workplace? I think keeping things professional, meeting expectations and exceeding them, and definitely not bringing work home. Um, you know, once you're home, uh, you have to be home at least for an hour or two with the family. And um, those would be my three topmost advices. And uh, don't try to keep it sane. Things do go insane. And it's not to worry about when things get crazy. Everybody that meets me says, that's crazy. What do you, where did you come up with that idea? You can't do that. And when I do that, they go, oh, so that's how it's done. So don't take no for an answer. At face value, you know what you can do. Believe in yourself and just go out there and get it done. Perfect. So is there anything else that you'd like to add that we haven't discussed? Um, no, nothing else except for my uh, last favorite song, I love to jump around and, and do goofy things uh, when I want to relax. And that's the one song that allows me to do that. 
and uh, you know, uh, One Republic, great group. And uh, I, I love any song, you know, that just strives energy. Um, energy is very, very important. Optimism is great, but it's also dangerous. Pessimism equally as dangerous. But having positive energy as a person is crucial to the success. So anyone giving you negative energy, just stay the hell away. That would be my advice. So sorry to have said that. But there are a lot of negative people out there. And um, I, I just, you know, listen to them and, and hear from them. But I don't hang around them. If, I don't know if that makes sense. I like yeah. positivity. This is great. Well, we're going to see out with your last song. Um, and this is Two by Two Eakley, now singing out with One Republic and Counting Stars. Lately, I've been, I've been losing sleep Dreaming about the things that we could be But baby, I've been, I've been praying hard Said no more counting dollars, we'll be counting stars Counting stars